today uh, sermon text is Psalm 88, and you can follow along um, in your Bible or phone. Uh, Psalm 88 reads, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ears to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down into the pit. I'm a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those who you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all of your waves. Selah. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to you, up to praise you? Selah. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O oh Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayers come before you. O oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. I'm Charles McKnight, the assistant pastor here at Christ Central Church. And I did not plan to be your preacher this morning. Um, I got a text from our senior pastor, Howard Brown. I saw it about 6.30 this morning. It said he had come down with a nasty virus. And so he asked me if I would come off the bench today. Um, so I laced up the chucks, and, uh, and I'm ready to go, okay? Um, but please do keep Pastor Howard and Kelly and the boys in your prayers um, that he will come to health quickly and that it will stay concentrated and not spread, okay? Is that a good word, Kelly? That is. Again, I didn't plan on being your preacher this morning, but the Lord did. And so we're going to rest in that this morning. Um, this morning, we'll be looking at a text that I actually preached a few years ago here at Christ Central. And my prayer is for those that actually remember the sermon, uh, that the, God's word would wash over you afresh this morning. So as you see, we'll be taking a detour from our explicit lyrics sermon series that's been going on, and Pastor Howard's been knocking that out the park. So please come back. If you're visiting for the first time this Sunday, please come back if you can next Sunday to jump back in on that series. 
But today we're going to take a little detour to the book of Psalms. By way of background, the book of Psalms is a collection of songs that originally served as a hymn book or worship song book for Israel. And in its 150 chapters, we can think of them as 150 songs, we are given words that express what I like to describe as the sweet and salty trail mix of our human emotions and experiences. We find in the book of Psalms, songs that express joy and grief, love and hate, peace and distress. And this emotional comprehensiveness makes the Psalms a mirror, a mirror to our own souls, reflecting both our highest joys as well as our deepest, darkest sorrows. And those Psalms that reflect the darker hues or the muted tones of our human experience are known as Psalms of Lament. And in these psalms of lament, we find prayers from God's people to him in the midst of suffering, confusion, and darkness. In Psalm 88, our text this morning is one of these kind of psalms, a psalm of lament. Psalm 88, we can think of it as track 88, is truly a sad, sad song. Track 88 is a sad song like Aretha Franklin's Ain't No Way, or like the Beatles, Eleanor Rigby. It's sad like R.E.M.'s Everybody Hurts or Tony Braxton's Unbreak My Heart. Psalm 88 is a boys to men, it's so hard to say goodbye, Biggie Smalls, suicidal thoughts, Amy Winehouse back to black kind of track. Psalm 88 is a sad, sad song. As a matter of fact, Psalm 88 may be the saddest song on the, in the whole book of Psalms. Because unlike other sad songs, unlike other Psalms of lament that usually end at least on a bright note, Psalm 88 ends with darkness, literally, with the word darkness. So here's the question, why in the world would the Lord include such a dark, sad, miserable song in Scripture? What value does Psalm 88 have in the life of a believer? What are we supposed to glean this morning from such a melancholy prayer? Well, brothers and sisters, I submit to you this morning that what the Lord offers us in and through Psalm 88 is permission to keep it real. Psalm 88 gives us permission. It gives us authorization. It gives us license, the go-ahead to keep it real. To keep it real, to, to remain authentic and sincere, to be frank and transparent, to be real about how we really feel. And Psalm 88 gives us permission to keep it real with the Lord when we pray in those dark valleys of life that we all have and all will surely pass again through on this side of eternity. And Psalm 88 gives us permission to keep it real in our prayers in at least four ways, four ways, which I'll briefly unpack for us this morning. First, Psalm 88 gives us permission to keep it real by keeping it desperate, desperate in our prayers. Three times in Psalm 88, the psalmist tells us that he cries out to the Lord in desperation. If you have the text, have it on your phone, or if you brought your Bible, if you look back with me at verse 1, he says, 
Oh Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Then in the second part of verse 9, if you drop down there, he says, Every day I call or I cry upon or out to you, O Lord. And then finally in verse 13, he declares again, But I, O Lord, cry to you. Can you tell the brother is desperate? He feels his life slipping and he doesn't understand why. His circumstances have him confused. He's hurting and he desperately needs help. So what does he do? He cries out to the Lord in desperation. Again, in verse 9, he says, My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread my hands to you. You can imagine a person with their arms overextended, their their fingers spread wide, probably crying and sweating, possibly even screaming, begging the Lord to rescue them from their pain, from their confusion, from the darkness that surrounds them. He's desperate. And what I want us to see is that he feels completely free to keep this desperate reality real with the Lord. Now, we live in a culture where it's a bad thing to look needy and desperate, right? Self-sufficiency, looking like you have it all together, reigns supreme in our American culture. And therefore, if we're honest, most of us do whatever we can usually to not appear too needy or too desperate to others. Now, I praise the Lord. I've been around here in this community at Christ Central Church long enough that I know most of you are quick to help someone that's in need or that may be in a desperate situation. But sometimes those of us that are most willing to help another in need are least apt to ask for it ourselves. Amen? And because of our apprehensions to reach out to others when we're in need, I think it also makes it difficult for us sometimes to come to the Lord with our raw neediness and desperation. Brothers and sisters, I tell you this morning that Psalm 88 frees us to come to the Lord as we just sang, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Through Psalm 88, the Lord gives us permission to keep it real with him by coming to him needy, and desperate. The second thing I want us to notice from track 88 is just how honest, how honest the psalmist is with the prayer that he's given to the Lord. Now, all throughout the psalm, we see the psalmist's honesty about the pain and confusion he's experiencing, especially about his frustrations with the Lord himself. Just look at all the ways that the psalmist points the finger at God. Notice all the, they call them accusatory you statements in this psalm. Beginning in verse 6, he says, You have put me in the depths of the pit in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. 
You have made me a whore to them. Do you see how crazy honest he is with the Lord about his frustrations and about his frustrations with the Lord himself? And he repeats the refrain of his God frustration in verses 15 through 18. Quickly, he says, afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. And then in verse 18, he says, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. Once again, it's obvious that the psalmist feels totally free to be honest. He feels free to completely pour out everything that's in his heart, all his frustrations, all his anger, and all his feelings of alienation. Look, y'all, there are times in the Christian life when we will get frustrated with what the Lord is or is not doing in our lives. Amen? There are times, if we're honest, that our circumstances can make it seem as if somehow we've missed God or, or for whatever reason he's turned his back on us. I mean, sometimes you feel like, Lord, I'm trying my best to be faithful to you and to trust you, but it just seems like there's always another problem, always another challenge, always another issue ready, ready and waiting for me around the next corner. Car issues, money issues, relationship issues, health issues. Sometimes you're just like, Lord, I'm spent I never seem to have enough, enough time, enough money, enough energy. I'm just worn out. Work's kicking my butt, getting ready for exams or EOCs are killing me. My kids are wearing me out. My parents are wearing me out. My mind is restless, darting around, finding more and more things to be anxious about. And to add to it, Lord, I feel like I'm cracking under the pressure of all these things in my life, the expectations of parents, the expectations of a spouse, the expectations of my boss, of my kids, of my culture, of society. And on top of all of it is that sin struggle, the one I prayed to you about a million times. Lord, it just seems to be getting the best of me. I don't feel like fighting anymore. I'm sick. I'm tired. I'm sick and tired of being what? Sick and tired. And if I'm honest, Lord, I mean, if I'm really, really honest, Lord, sometimes I feel as if, if I was your son, if I really was your daughter, then there's no way you would put me through all this mess. Anyone ever felt any of that before? And up here, right, we know that God doesn't owe us anything. We know that God is in control of everything and that somehow he's going to work everything for his good purposes, right? But sometimes that doesn't make the hurt, make the frustration, make the anger, make the feelings of loneliness go away. Brothers and sisters, Psalm 88 gives us permission to pour out all our hearts to the Lord, even when what's in our hearts isn't happy praise. Even what we're feeling is sadness and frustration with God himself. If you're a believer this morning, you are God's child. You are his child. 
And he will never, ever be offended by his children being real, being direct about the hurt they feel, even if they think that hurt has come from him. Psalm 88 gives us permission to keep it real by keeping it honest. Honest with the Lord in our prayers. But not only does the psalmist keep it real by keeping it desperate and keeping it honest, we see that he also keeps it determined. Determined in his prayers. All throughout this psalm, we get these little snapshots of the psalmist's determination. Again, verse 1, if you can, look back there with me. He says, I cry out day and night before you. And then he says in verse 9, every day I call upon you. And then he adds in verse 13, in the morning my prayer comes before you. And if we stitch these three portraits of petition together, we get one panoramic picture of unremitting, undeterred, unceasing, banging on the Lord's door in prayer. Morning, noon, and night, all day, every day, this brother is on his knees crying out to the Lord for relief. He doesn't give up. He keeps on praying. He's determined. Here's a question for each of us this morning. How determined have you been in your prayers recently? What struggle in your life or in the life of someone else you know have you stopped praying about? Look, each one of us will enter seasons of life where the struggle is so hard, where the the dark is so thick, where the pressure is so heavy that we'll be tempted to ask, why even pray? What's the point? What's the use? Brothers and sisters, I encourage you, I challenge you that in those moments to remember texts like Psalm 88. We have to remember the psalmist's determination to keep on praying, to keep on crying out, even in the longest seasons of struggle, even when the Lord seems painfully silent. We have to keep it real in those moments by remaining determined. That's our third point. But here's the million-dollar question. What in the world kept this psalmist so determined? I mean, what was his motivation? What kept him praying all day, every day, even when the Lord was so painfully silent? Was he just foolish? Was he just being stubborn? Was it just some type of blind hope? How was a person able to remain so determined in such an extended period of misery? Well, our text reveals that the psalmist's ability to keep it determined was fueled by his ability to remain Confident, confident that that Lord is the only one who could and who would save him. See, it's easy in such a dark psalm like this to overlook the glimpses of light that it offers. And right there at the very beginning of Psalm 88, it's actually a piercing light that shines through when the psalmist begins this entire desperate, honest, and determined prayer with the confident opening, O Lord, God of my salvation. You see that? God of my salvation. See, when we read this psalm in light of this opening line, we realize that his frustration 
is not because he doubts God's power and ability to save him. No, he understands, he knows that no matter how silent, no matter how distant God seems in the moment, he is still no less the one and only God of salvation. And so get this, his desperation and honesty and determination is actually a sign. It's a reflection. It's a testament of his confidence in the Lord and in the Lord's promises. I've used a similar illustration before, but it's kind of like my little girls and the way they hold on to my promises, especially my oldest daughter, Mackenzie. Mackenzie is now seven, and like most kids her age, she has a deep love affair with anything sweet, okay? Donuts, cupcakes, Sour Patch Kids, whatever, she loves it. And so do most of us, if we're keeping it real, amen? <laughs> and if I tell her, Mackenzie, Daddy is going to take you to get a sweet treat later, but I don't tell her exactly when later is, y'all know, she will hound me all day long until I finally take her. All day, I'll hear, Daddy, are we going now, Daddy? Daddy, is it time yet? She'll even start doing things around the house kids don't normally do to, to kill time. Daddy, I, I just flipped your mattress for you. Can, can we go now? Daddy, I, I, I just waxed your car. I just did your taxes. I just grilled you a steak. Can we please go now, Daddy? Please, please, please. And this will go on all day until I finally fulfill my sweet treat promise. Now, understand, if I would have never promised her something, then she would have never bugged me. Likewise, if I had promised her, but I had a track record of being a deadbeat who never kept his promises, then my promise probably would have gone in one ear and out the other. Furthermore, if I would have promised her something that she didn't believe her daddy had the ability to provide for her, my promise probably would have been ignored. But because I did make her a promise, and because I do have a track record with my little girl for keeping my promises, and because I know she knows that I have the ability, the, the means, the money to buy her a sweet treat, Mackenzie's constant crying out of when is not calling my ability, dependability, or credibility into question. Rather, her cry is a sign. It's a reflection. It's a testament to her complete confidence and anticipation of the fulfillment of her father's sweet treat promise. Like Mackenzie, the psalmist knows that his heavenly father, the Lord, is a sweet promise making and a sweet promise keeping God. He knows the Lord has the ability to bring his promises to fruition whenever he pleases. And this is why he agonizes as he waits in the darkness for God's promises to be fulfilled. And brothers and sisters, you and I also know that the Lord is a promise-keeping God, even in a way the psalmist didn't. Because, see, we know how the Father has kept his promises once and for all through his Son, Jesus Christ. 
Unlike the psalmist who lived many, many years before Christ came and lived and died, we stand on the other side of the cross, looking back. And so we can be even more confident, confident in God's promise to bring about his full redemption in Christ Jesus. And do you know how Christ was able to bring us redemption? He brought it to us by allowing track 88 to be one of the leading tracks on the soundtrack of his life. See, like the psalmist, the book of Hebrews tells us that when Jesus walked this earth, he offered up prayers and pleadings with loud cries, it says, and tears. The Gospel of Mark tells us that when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before his arrest, trial, and crucifixion, the pressure of dying for the dark sins of the world were so heavy upon him that it says his sweat was like blood as he screamed out in honest and desperate prayer to the Father. And like the psalmist who was left alone, abandoned by friends and family, Jesus experienced abandonment at the end of his life when his friends and family deserted him. And Jesus experienced the ultimate abandonment from the Father when he stretched out his arms on the cross for you and for me. Here's the grand point, brothers and sisters. Jesus knows all about your struggles. There's not a crevice of darkness in your life that he doesn't understand. He knows darkness better than we ever will because he experienced a midnight of darkness when he hung on the cross, absorbing the Father's wrath for your dark sins and for mine. And it's when we come to the foot of this cross, when we gaze up at what Christ has endured for us, that we can see the love and mercy of God that seems so hidden in our dark periods of life has once and for all been stunningly displayed. It's at the intersection of the cross, brothers and sisters, that our pain and misery is ultimately defeated by divine mercy and grace. It's at the cross where we find a bottomless and endless an inexhaustible source of comfort and hope and peace in the seasons of darkness in our lives. In the last line of Psalm 88, the psalmist says, my companions have become darkness. He was all alone, just he and his dark misery. Look, mama's not going to always be there. Your friends, your spouse won't always be there the way that you need them to be. But Jesus, Jesus promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is the one who says to, to come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He is our savior. He is our hero who died to make true for us God's promises that weeping may endure for a night. But joy, joy, brothers and sisters, will come in the morning. And this Jesus has risen from the grave and, and given us his spirit and lives today guaranteeing for us the promise that one day 
One day we will be rescued from the brokenness of this world and our own brokenness and be made to dwell in a city, a heavenly city, an eternal city designed and built by God. And it's in this city, brothers and sisters, that there will be no more psalms of lament because there'll be no more sickness or pain or no more fighting or confusion, no more poverty or anger, no more hate, fear, or sadness, and there'll be no more darkness. Instead, this city will be a place shining with overwhelming happiness and never-ending rest. This city will be a place of perfect joy and pure pleasure and peace in the presence of the Son, Jesus Christ, the one who entered the depths of darkness to bring us into his eternal glorious light. But until that great day, brothers and sisters, the blood-bought promise that that day will surely come one day means that we can keep it real today. We can keep it desperate, y'all. We can keep it honest. We can keep it determined, all because we can keep it confident confidently dependent on the finished work of Christ that ultimately makes all God's sweet promises to us. Yes and amen. Amen? Amen. Amen. As the praise team and the band prepares to come up here for our closing song, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. Oh, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the hope which you have given us in Christ Jesus. And as we wait in the darkness of this broken world, in the darkness of our own brokenness for our full redemption, help us to keep it real with you, Lord. Life is hard, and you know that. And we thank you for freeing us to come to you open and raw and transparent, Lord. Holy Spirit, drive us, drive your people this morning to desperate, honest, determined, and confident prayer. And we know the only reason we have access to your throne of grace and mercy is because of Christ's work on our behalf. So it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.